This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Love, courage, truth. Glenn Beck. Climate change isn't just bad for the environment. It is bad now for the womb. Yesterday, the New York Times ran a story highlighting uh, women who claim their decision to have children is directly influenced by climate change. They had an example of a woman named Sarah. She considered having another child, but that would mean moving into a bigger house. Uh, and that's further from her job. She's not sure she can inju- she can justify the environmental impact uh, for a larger home and a longer commute. Allison. She was in the time. She's concerned about the apocalyptic future of extreme weather. She said, I don't want to give birth to a kid and wonder if he's going to live in some sort of Mad Max dystopia. Miriam shared her concern. My instinct now is to shield my children from the horrors of the future by not bringing them into the world. Amanda actually decided to have more children because of climate change. Her reason? Someday my husband and I will be gone. If my daughter has to face the end of the world as we know it, I... I want her to have a brother there. Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about fear-mongering. So many women are bringing climate change into their reproduction decisions that the organization Conceivable Future was founded to help women make environmentally friendly reproductive decisions and navigate our doomed world. Not to bring a child into the world because you're scared they are going to increase your carbon footprint or that they'll live like moody drifters in a desert-like terrain, is the very definition of insanity. These women are deciding not to have children based on their, their fictional perception of their children's quality of life. And we're the fear mongers? The disgusting lie of an impending environmental wasteland and an overpopulated planet wasn't true in the 1970s. It wasn't true in the 1960s when it really started to take root and everybody was freaking out in the mid-70s. It wasn't true. It wasn't true that we were going into an ice age and that we would all freeze to death and there would be no food by 1990. That wasn't true in the 70s and the 80s and it's not true today. This is nonsense. Stop it. We have to be better stewards of our planet. Yes. We should recycle. We should use less. We should make sure that the things that we we do use, we can reuse. But to not have children? The birth rate in the United States reached its lowest point in 2016, and the decline continues all around the world. It is almost criminal that these women are, are, have been scared so deeply that they are allowing a 50-year-old unsubstantiated fear dictate whether or not they bring human life into the world. You know, let me give you a few things to be afraid of. Uh, how about this? Women, if you are afraid of this, let me give you something to be scared of. AI. We right now have scientists Credible science. Stephen Hawking. Some of the scientists that you believe global warming is true because of it. They say that global warming is nothing compared to AI. 
They say AI will wipe out the entire human race in the next 30 to 50 years, long before carbon is killing the planet, long before. Why don't you listen to them, but you listen to these? And here's an idea. Balance. Balance in your life. There are some days when I read stuff like this, I hope I'm one of the first that a robot replaces. I want to talk a little bit about balance again today. Yesterday, I talked about balance. The balance between self-worth and humility. It's a balance we never can we can never get if we're on top of the world if we are doing great i did it i did it man look at me look at me look at me our actions scream look at me i did it and if we're having a bad go of it i'm just stupid i'm just i'm the worst i can't believe it i mean i never catch a break i'm just always make the wrong decisions oh man humility and self-worth where do we get that? Yesterday, Sarah, I don't know if we still have the Martin Luther King commercial that Dodge uh, ran, but there was there was a commercial that is they, they the, people are actually calling for the firing of the person who came up with this commercial. This th- this commercial was brilliant. Was it, did it, did it sell a truck? I don't know. Did it, uh, did it go too far by, by comparing Martin Luther King and his mission to a truck? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Was this commercial good? Yeah, I think it was. It was a, it was based on a sermon, uh, that Martin Luther King did 50 years ago to the day. On Super Bowl Sunday. And here's what he had to say. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to say. You don't have to know the theory of relativity to say. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to say. You only need a heart full of grace. So generated by love oh my gosh they should be fired or maybe perhaps this is exactly the message america needs what is a heart full of grace what is that that is a heart i believe that is balanced between self-worth and humility i'm not going to change the world i'm not going to change anybody's life i'm just trying to do the right thing i'm just trying to change my life i'm trying to be a better person and i i know i can do it because i know who i am and because i know who i am i know who you are and i know how we're connected and so i'm going to serve you i'm going to help you because that helps me it helps all of us that's what we're here for that's a heart full of grace yesterday i brought you this message and right before i went off the air I received this phone call. 
So let's go to uh, Minnesota and uh, Brian. Hello, Brian. Hello, Mr. Beck. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Thanks for holding. You bet. Hey, I just wanted to say, uh, I wanted to, to preface this with, um, I'm at work and I don't listen to you very often. And I think it's a bit of serendipity that I happened to listen to you a while ago. Um, the first thing I heard was MLK saying something about having a heart full of grace. Yeah. And then, and then you talked about being honest with yourself. Um, and you went on, on, on that line for quite some time. I served our country in the second of the 75th Ranger Regiment. And I've been honest with myself ever since I got out. I've hated myself. I've despised myself. And I'm a husband and I'm a father. And what you said, you know, it's, it's hard for people to reach me at a certain level um, because I don't want people to because I, I like to keep people away from me, except for my wife and my daughter. I'm not a huge people person. I, I don't like people. And I think it's because I don't like myself. Um, I've never really had an epiphany moment in my life. I certainly never expected one from, from Glenn Beck. Um, but that's what happened. It, I had to pull my truck over and it, it moved me to tears to realize how much I can't stand myself and how much of an issue I have being the kind of person that I need to be to guide my family. And all because of the fact that I don't serve anymore and I feel useless. I feel emasculated and, and, and I have no idea how I got to this point today. I have no idea why I'm at this point right now, because I certainly didn't expect it. And I certainly didn't expect it at the time that it happened. But I'm glad that it did. Um, Brian, I just wanted to let you know that. I, I just have to tell you, you're not alone, brother. And I have been in exactly your place. I've been there. Um, and it gets better. It really does. You just, now that you've recognized it, now you can start taking baby steps. And a year from now, you won't recognize how great your life is. So that was, Thanks for calling. that was yesterday's program at the very end of the uh, program. And I was struck by, I hate myself. I despise myself because I used to feel that way too. Um, I don't know if Brian is a drinker, but the way, <laughs> that's the way I dealt with it. And I used to hate people. I used to say that all the time. I hate people. I don't. I hated me. I hated me. I was a self-hating egomaniac. That's who we've become. We are, we are filled with certitude. That we know exactly what's happening. We know exactly what the problem is. We do this in our, we, it's so strange. We do this in, um, in politics. We know our side is right. Their side is wrong. We know it. And there's no room for gray. But I'm sorry to say, principles are principles. They are black and white. 
But how we're getting to those principles, how we're understanding those principles, there's a lot of gray. Their side is not always wrong, and we're not always right. In fact, we seem to switch places an awful lot. Brian says he feels useless and emasculated. I fear there's going to be more of that before there's less. But the good news is, if you recognize it now, you can take the steps to change that course. And it's really hard, but it's so well worth it. My father taught me the most important thing anybody's ever taught me in my life. The most powerful words in any language is I am. You change what follows those two words and you will change your life. I can guarantee you that he spends a lot of time as I did. I am useless. I am worthless. I am so weak. I am so pathetic. Well, if you had somebody around you saying that all day long, for months and months and months, perhaps years, it would affect you, and we would call it mental abuse. We say those things to ourselves much more than anybody else could possibly say that. We're inflicting mental abuse on ourselves, and we believe it. After a while, you believe it. Do yourself a favor. Get out a notebook and a pencil. And just put positive and negative, one side positive, one side negative. Don't judge anything. Don't ponder it. Just when you have a thought, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so worthless. Oh, my gosh. I'm so whatever it is. I am. Just notice, is it positive or a negative? Then just mark it down. When I did this years ago, I don't think I had any positives on. In the worst times of my life, I have fewer positives than negatives. Your job is to stop using, in my opinion, the name of God is I am. Who shall I say sent me, said Moses? I am that I am. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. What he means by that is my creative power is in my name. And I am will create whatever it is. Don't take it in vain. Don't take that lightly. I am strong. I am stronger today than I was yesterday. I am better today than I was yesterday. I am, I am discovering my worth every second. You can't just convince yourself that you are worthy. I'm discovering my worth every day. I am finding new things to be excited about every day. Believe me, you change your thinking and you will change your life. Oh, and by the way, for anybody who thought that the guy should be fired for that Dodge Ram commercial, maybe Dodge could say that because I don't think Brian is going to be out buying a Dodge because of the commercial. But because of that commercial and because we weren't bitching about it on the air, but actually talking about it, it changed one man's life. Good job, Dodge. Um, I was uh, I have a. 
a love story I wanted to tell you about. Oh, a love story. It's okay. very nice. This is good. All right. All right. Uh, it was a long time ago, about 25 years ago. 25 years ago. Two, uh, two crayfish. Two, two, pardon me? Two crayfish. Yes, okay. They met. And they, uh, <laughs> I don't know if they... It, it went fast. Uh-huh. You know, things moved pretty fast. Yes. It was not one of those. It, it, they meet. They like it was like it was love right at to, first sight. Love at not first even sight. that. It was just sex. They went. They went at it. Yes, right. Okay. The, there was an issue, however. Oh, um, one of them had a mutation in a sex oh, cell. Boy, okay, in a sex cell. Yes. Um, th- whether it was the egg or the sperm, the scientists don't know yet. Don't know. Um, as they in- analyze this love story. Oh boy. Um, now normal sex cell- cells uh, contain a single copy of each chromosome, mm-hmm. but the mutant crayfish cell. Had two. Uh-oh. Somehow the two sex cells fused and produced a female crayfish embryo with three copies of each chromosome instead of the normal two. Somehow, too, the crayfish didn't suffer any deformities because mm. of this, which was normally what would happen. I want to know, is there extra meat? Yes, it's actually these crayfish are very large. <laughs> really? And they produce a lot of eggs. And what's interesting about these new crayfish yeah. that happened on this yeah, yeah, day, yeah. this love story that paid yeah. off 25 years ago, yeah. just 25 years ago, huh. is they can now clone themselves. And they, uh, I guess they became popular, like, by people, aquarium hobbyists in the 1990s. And they, because they were bigger than the normal ones, and they produced lots of eggs, so you'd get lots of extras. And they kept producing so many extras, people started freaking out and just bringing them to local lakes and just dumping them in the lakes, the extras. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, obviously, free to roam. They're very resilient. Free to roam. They're able to produce more and more and more and more. And now they're all over the world. No one knows how to get rid of them or what to do about them. It's honestly like the, um, is it the rabbit population in in uh, in Australia? Do you know that? I think it's, it's rabbits, isn't it? Well, I mean, I know one phrase about rabbits that works into this. No, story. I know, but I mean, there was there was a there was <laughs> I can't remember how this worked, but somebody brought over. I think it was rabbits to Australia, and there was. Uh, the natural predators were not strong enough and the rabbit population went crazy and overrun. I think it's Australia with rabbits. Uh, and it was a real problem uh, over in Australia because people, you know, there's bring all the cute little bunny and they bring it over. They, you know, I don't know about the cute little crawfish, but <laughs> you know, you're taking it out of its natural habitat and you're, you're just starting to dump it and it, and it doesn't have necessarily any predators. And in this case, it's genetically cloning itself. Is that the one where there's like a whole Island where it's just like covered in, I, I don't <laughs> know. It random. might be a book that I read <laughs> to my kids at night. I don't know. Uh, it's interesting though, that they say that the, about one out of every 10,000 species, this occurs with, there's some mutation and then the woman, the lovely woman, she, she the doesn't crop want, she, person, she, the crop person is very much says me too and doesn't want to be with the men anymore. Right. And then she starts having her own clone babies. They're taking over Europe. There's millions and they can't stop it because they just keep cloning themselves with the hundreds. Was it man created or was this natural natural it happens evolution Mm -hmm. it's evolution people you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program so much to the i would think chagrin of my friends and chagrin of his friends uh we are friends eric lou he is the founder and ceo of citizen university also the executive director of the aspen institute citizenship and american identity program He's um, he's from Seattle. I don't think I need to say anything else. He's from <laughs> Seattle. Uh, so so uh, uh, we don't necessarily agree on everything. Um, but we we have become friends because we both are trying to find 
sane ways to have conversations with each other and other people, or we're doomed. We're doomed. Welcome. How are you? Glenn, it's great to be back. So would you agree with me that both sides, to one degree or another, have become unhinged on the extreme edges? Yeah, I think our politics today, and especially if you spend more than 10 minutes on social media, um, is about uh, voices on the unhinged extremes. Um, And it's about this pattern that plays out over and over where um, each extreme has to gin it up in order to yeah. um, to feed the rage and the anger about the other side's extreme. Yeah. You know, I think that that is our politics as it's mediated, you know, through, especially right. through social media. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, there is a broad swath of, you know, sane people, um, <laughs> ca- call yeah. them, you know, interested bystanders, people who yeah. aren't super active in politics, super active in commenting on politics. Um, who just want to understand each other and who just want to fix stuff. Yeah. Um, and some of them are as progressive as I am, and some of them are as uh, libertarian as you are, and uh, many of them are in all points between, but uh, uh, they're not interested in the game playing and the posturing uh, that so much of national politics is about today. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, we're, we're making everything about politics now. Absolutely everything is about politics, and, and we're not going to survive that. That's just, that's nuts. Um, I, the story today came out on um, Sports Illustrated. They just did a, a swimsuit <clears throat> issue that doesn't have any swimsuits. Uh, the, all of the women are completely naked, and they're beautiful women. One is lying down naked, face up with the word truth painted on her rib cage. Uh, another one is naked with feminist emblazoned on her arm. The other is the daughter of Christy Brinkley that is staring at the camera laying on her side with the word progress written across her back. And they've put this, this is, I don't understand this. This is Sports Illustrated, a magazine for men trying to say, see, we shouldn't objectify women. I don't understand that. Yeah, that, that, I, there's a lot that is great fundamentally about the Me Too movement and the agree. fact that our society is waking up to agree. shifting norms on what's okay when it comes to actually agree. treating women with respect. Yes. Right. Uh, but I do not look to Sports Illustrated uh, right, as right. my moral guide how on we, the objectification of women. How right? do we and, how do we find a way and, and and tell me what your feelings are on the people that you know on the on the dangers? Even Margaret Atwood brought this up. The dangers of these these kangaroo courts, or just not even not even a kangaroo court. Just you're guilty and you're done if anybody accuses you. Uh, the danger is there. Uh, but I think actually as a society, we're navigating it right now. I mean, this is this is somewhat uncharted. Yeah. Right? We, it's not like the society has tried before to have deep equity between men and women on what who gets to harass whom. We've never done that before. We're having a society wide reckoning. Are there going to be cases where people um, abuse that the power that comes with that? Sure. Uh, but are our institutions and are the leaders in our institutions fundamentally trying to reckon with that in good faith. I actually think we are, right? And even this kind of absurd Sports Illustrated cover um, is a sign that, you know, one thing you can say about Sports Illustrated is they're trying to tune into the zeitgeist. They are aware of the marketplace, <laughs> right? And, and they know the zeitgeist is, yes. you got to be on the right side of this yes. issue, right? Right. Um, and that, that's Right, but if I right? did <clears throat> photos of naked women and put, you know, hashtag me too, I don't think I'd get the <laughs> well, pass exactly. that... From either side, in my case, yeah. from either side. The question side. is one of, you know, in the law, they talk about standing. Do you have standing? 
to make a case, right? Yeah. Um, during the Super Bowl, we all watched the ads and stuff. I didn't think Dodge Ram trucks had the moral standing to use an MLK speech about the dangers of commercialism um, to sell trucks. To me, that was, and to lots of Americans, that was, you know what? Uh, message the, the, and messenger not aligned here. Right? You mean the you mean the MLK message? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, so the MLK message. May I present an opposite point of view? Um, uh, that's a that's a sermon that most Americans have never heard. Was really good. I agree with you that you know the images of the truck coming in halfway in. You're like, okay, that's really you don't need that. Just a simple dodge. Yeah. At the end yes. would have been perfect. Would have been great. So. Um, who have you found, uh, Eric? You know, the, I have been looking for a while, uh, looking for people like you that we don't necessarily agree, but we can have really good conversations and we can move things forward together. Mm -hmm. um, who have you found on the on the left or in the media that is really willing to do that? Hmm. You know, um, and I'm not sure if she's been a guest on your show, but uh, my friend Nira Tandon. Nope. Um, who runs the Center for American Progress, so oh, a big, big wow. progressive think tank that yeah. I know you cross swords with. Right? Yeah. Uh, but Nira is both able and willing to have conversations with anybody uh, and to have them in ways that aren't just about the made-for-TV food fight, mm -hmm. um, that are really trying to say, who, who, what, what's your deal, right? What, what are you getting at here? Um, I really feel one of the biggest problems is nobody's listening at all. Yeah. Nobody feels heard right now. Um, the somehow or another, the left, which still controls most of the media, doesn't feel heard. And the right, now that they control the House and the Senate and that they don't feel heard. And it's because nobody is nobody is actually um, um, I guess I guess emoting mm -hmm. what the average person is feeling right mm -hmm. now. You know, we're all scared. It's amazing. I saw I saw a YouTube video of a of a liberal um, talking about how uh, afraid she was that uh, Donald Trump was going to build concentration camps. And it was in a room uh, it probably had a thousand people in it. Mm -hmm. And they all were like, yeah, yeah. And I remember I debunked the lie about Obama making uh, concentration camps because that was a big deal. Big conspiracy theory. Big conspiracy. Time, yeah. I, I was called a conspiracy theorist for debunking that conspiracy <laughs> theorist uh, that theory. Um, and, and now the other side is feeling the same kind of fear that so many Americans did when they didn't trust the president. And I think this is a moment where we can wake up and say, see, this is why the president should never have this much power. The president should not be able to affect our lives to the point to where we're afraid of him. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think there's one lesson that people on the left are learning today, and that is um, the dangers of this imperial presidency, right? Which is not a Trump phenomenon or even an Obama phenomenon. No, it's it's going, going back a half time. a century at least, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. At least since World War II. Right? Wood, the concentration power in the executive right yeah um but i think you're i want to go back to something you were saying about listening and being heard right uh we, we live in this time right now where there is and we've talked about this there's so much pain there's so much pain the segment you were doing right before the break mm -hmm. um, in which you were just speaking to a human an individual about the pain they are feeling in their journey and you were tying it to the pain that you have felt at various points on your journey right um that kind of conversation, which is both about listening, but it's about, I'm not just listening to the words you're saying and to the points you're making. I'm trying to listen underneath 
um, to, to the emotional currents there. Uh, that's a set of habits that nobody's modeling for us in national politics mm-hmm. and that we as citizens, frankly, it's gotten easier for us basically to shed those habits because nothing in our daily lives rewards that. Right. Social media doesn't reward that. Um, the media up, doesn't. The media re- doesn't reward re- that. Re- right? And re- so we, we've got to actually build experiences where we see each other face to face again. Um, you know, if, if we were having this conversation by phone, this would be different. But I'm looking you in the eye right now, Glenn, mm-hmm. and I'm looking in, at you as you have spoken about these questions. And it, there's a human connection here uh, that I can't now just call you a nut job and call you a this and call yeah, you a yeah. that. Like we've connected on some level, right? doesn't mean we're going to agree on the issues, but it means that I'm not going to demonize. And I think the deepest ill in our politics is how um, we've forgotten how to rehumanize each other. It's so funny. I was just I just wrote a member of the press this morning, uh, a private uh, conversation that dealt with that. I said, we are we are calling each other subhumans exactly the way the early, you know, 1920s Nazis were starting to train people that you're subhuman. Mm -hmm. If you don't agree with me, you're subhuman. And we're we're training each other that way. But it doesn't. Social media is not the only one that doesn't reward it. Media doesn't reward it yeah. either. I mean, if if you're not going to call somebody a nut job or a Nazi, you don't win, and they don't put you on. Uh, and you, Stu, were you, was it you yesterday that said that you had seen somebody say, "No, well, on the surface, this means X and X," and the yeah. guy was like, "No, but that's." Yeah, the story. It, it was it was an interview about uh, some controversial comment that had gone on in the media. And they had brought someone on to kind of answer for it in the typical kind of cable news back and forth. And that was essentially the way they, when, when, the, when the person was pu- uh, pushing back against it, they said, yeah, but you got to admit on the surface, it's, it's, it's an insult. And it's like, well, isn't the point here as human beings that we go beyond the surface, that we think <laughs> a little bit deeper about these things? Yeah. Because we can all get frustrated at, at the surface of it. We can all find the worst possible intent of a comment yeah. and turn it into something that's going to enrage our side. But that shouldn't be our goal. So, so Eric, how do we do that? Well, it starts with something I actually want to give you guys credit for, which is you got to put something at risk, right? When you started a couple of years ago saying, I own my piece of how our politics and our political culture have gotten toxic. Um, and, I've, and I've decided I want to be part of the solution. I want to start reaching out and having conversations across different divides, Right. You put a bunch of stuff at risk. <laughs> you feel it acutely, right? You feel it every day. You put, I don't have to name it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just about the business side of things and the listeners and the sponsors or whatever. I'm talking about just reputational power and so forth, right? You put stuff at risk. And I often ask myself and I ask my friends who are left of center, what are we willing to put at risk in order to change this politics, in order to go a little deeper beyond the surface and beyond just this uh, 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 throwing of uh, flames at each other, right? So n- number one, it's being willing. And, and, and I want to name the fact that you all have started something and, and set in motion a different cycle of, of responsibility taking rather than responsibility shirking, right? Thank you. Th- 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 there is only one way to break the cycle of dehumanization and responsibility shirking, and that is to break it. Yeah. That is to be, you know, say, you know what? I didn't start it. I didn't, I'm not the one to blame, but darn it, I'm actually just going to say, I'm stopping right now and I'm trying to change direction here, go a little deeper, mm-hmm. rehumanize. And yeah, I may pay some price for that, but this is a, uh, th- this is a question of purpose. 
As a, one of the uh, famous poets said, we didn't start the fire. It was Billy Joel and stop it. It was always um, <laughs> a, a poet. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So what do your friends say to you when you say, what are we willing to lose? What are we willing to, what chip are we willing to put up? Let me tell you about something we've been doing at Citizen University. We For the last year plus now, year and a quarter, um, we've been doing these regular gatherings that we call Civic Saturday. Um, and these are basically a civic analog to church. It's not church, it's not synagogue or mosque, mm-hmm. but it's about American civic religion, right? The stuff that you and I as civic nerds are steeped in, right? I mean, uh, understanding the language and the texts and the, uh, what you might think of as civic scripture, uh, whether that's from the Declaration or the Preamble or King speeches or Susan mm-hmm. B. Anthony or whatever it might be, um, and understanding that we have all inherited this body of values and text and idea, and we do these gatherings with the arc of a faith gathering. We sing together, you turn to the stranger next to you, you talk about a common question, uh, there are readings of these texts, um, there's a sermon that I've been giving, um, and then afterwards there's more song, and then there's an hour afterwards where people kind of form up in circles and talk about mm. what are we going to do together, right? And I go at length to tell you about this because, number one, it's been amazing how people have responded to this. Uh, there, there is this need across the left and the right, whether you are... Um, uh, traditionally religious or not, there is this need in our political life for a space where we can come together and rehumanize, right? Number one. But number two, when in that space, I've said to folks in these sermons what I said here, which is we've got to be willing to take risks. We've got to be willing to ask ourselves, what are we willing to put on the line? Um, and people, people, are, people sit there for a minute because they haven't been asked slash challenged to do that in a long time, Right. All of our political leadership is about, let me indulge you. Let me indulge your, your worst instincts. Yep, yep. Let me indulge you. Not um, what can you do and maybe even give up a little bit yeah. um, in order to start solving the problem, right? Um, and that leads to different kinds of conversations. And, and frankly, not all of them are about Trump or national politics. A lot of these conversations then come to um, life in our city, which is that's, changing dramatically right now. That's right. what it should come down to yeah. in the first place. Um, he has written a book, You're More Powerful Than You Think. His name is Eric Liu, uh, and we'll have more tonight at 5 o'clock. Make sure you join us on theblaze.com slash TV. Hey, just so you know, things could be worse. Imagine if I got on the air today and said, by the way, the government has decided to change the alphabet again today. (laughs) Yeah, this is what happened in Kazakhstan. They had a new alphabet introduced last year, had 32 letters, but it had tons of apostrophes in it. And the apostrophes were supposed to denote distinct sounds. What happened was people got really pissed off, largely because it's really hard to get to the apostrophe on on your handheld device. So you're typing a message on your phone. You're constantly bringing up shift and going to the apostrophe. They've now reworked with less apostrophes, a new alphabet, and that will be going in. Un- Even though people have bought signs hey, for the old one. But big government is the solution. <laughs> what was this? Glenn Beck. Mercury. Mercury.